I've been going through, I've been going through the phrases of Psalm 23. The phrases there that I'm calling scenes, the seven scenes of Psalm 23 that, that tell us the activity of God, what God is actively doing in our world. And we have gone through four of those so far, and today we are up to number five in that list, the fifth scene that we take there. And we're going to take this then as, as something that, well, we're just crossing the halfway point. So Psalm 23 is not a very long psalm. It's only six verses long. And what we are getting up to today is, is beginning in verse 4. So we just crossed the halfway point. And, and that's significant because there are some things that happen in Psalm 23 when you get halfway through. Even though we've looked at four scenes so far that come in the first two verses, and, and they come rapid fire one after the next, right? In verse 2 and in verse 3, where Psalm 23 says this, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. We've looked at those four. But now it turns a corner. Now we get to this place where it moves along, and we see in verse 4, Something different. Something that talks about, well, dark valleys. Or if you have an, an older NIV translation or English translation of the Bible, it calls it valley of the shadow of death. And instead of this sort of rapid fire one after the next, but, but now there's an expanded explanation that the psalmist David is going from this place of of posh luxury, right? Quiet waters and green pastures. And, and now he's turning his attention to something where maybe we would not long to be, a place we'd like to get out of, this dark valley and what that looks like. A little explanation on, on what that dark valley looks like. I'm going to put a picture up here that, that shows this is what it looks like if you were going to travel from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jerusalem on Mount Sinai is, has a high elevation. As you travel east out of Jerusalem towards Jericho, it descends. And it goes through these very narrow canyons and valleys that the roads there would be down in those canyons. Picture that gets you a little closer up. So when you would travel that road, you would be in this very dark, shadowy kind of canyon. So even though in this picture it's a blue sky and sunny day, if you were traveling the road down at the bottom you would be in the dark. And that would be a place that in those times of the Bible was notorious for thieves and robbers to hide out, to attack unsuspecting travelers going along there. Because there was nowhere to escape. You couldn't run away. You're trapped into this canyon. That's the setting that Jesus uses, for example, in his parable of the Good Samaritan, the traveler who is going down that road and is attacked there. That's the image that's called to mind here then when David writes about this in Psalm 23. These dark valleys, valley of the shadow of death. He's, he's bringing to mind that image of these roads that they would travel where there would sometimes be danger there for them. So as he explains that, he brings that to that place where it calls to mind not the great places, the quiet waters, the green pastures, 
But now the places where maybe we look to God a little more for his protection, his saving, his guidance along the way. So that then comes forward to where we see in verse 4 of Psalm 23, where we see these words. The psalmist writes this, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We're turning a corner here, turning a corner to where not only are we looking at a different scene of something where we call to God in a time of need. But, but now, notice this as well, that, that Psalm 23 shifts in its tone and its voice where all of the scenes that we've seen so far have been using third-person pronouns, referring something about God. He does this. He provides this. He leads me. Now, all of a sudden, it shifts to a second-person pronoun. It is a direct address to God. The psalm turns to a prayer. Not just talking about God, but now talking directly to God. God, your rod and staff comfort me. God, you are with me, so I fear no evil. It it becomes personal. David is telling us something in this psalm about his own relationship and walk with God in this And it becomes a prayer then that in this personal way reflects back. Reflects back in what God has said personally about his people. So that's where I want to jump to today. Today we are actually going to be looking at a passage that comes from Isaiah. This is from Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, where I'm going to read just the first 13 verses of that passage. This is what God says through the prophet Isaiah. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba for your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and all the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. 
Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be anyone after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I, not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, And from ancient days, I am he. No one can deliver you out of my hand. When I act, who could ever reverse it? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Isaiah 43. Hey, let me give a a little bit of bigger picture of what's happening in Isaiah. Isaiah is really a courtroom scene. We, We would do well to imagine it like that. That God... The prosecutor is calling a trial, and he's bringing his people, the people of Israel, as defendants to this trial. The charge against them, covenant failure. They have not kept up their end of the bargain, the bargain that God made with them, the law of Moses that came from Mount Sinai, the way that they were supposed to live. So God calls court into session. That's what's happening in the book of Isaiah. In the early chapters of Isaiah, God, the prosecutor, lays out his case, the charges he has against his people. And they have no defense. Nothing that they can back up to to say, but it wasn't us, but we didn't do it. But, but you see, these charges are incorrect. They're false. They have no defense. Then, in Isaiah, starting in chapter 40, God begins to lay out some of his own part of that covenant. In a way that says, but, but I'm not washing you away, I'm not leaving you, but God says, but God says, starting in Isaiah 40, I have remained faithful to this covenant. I have kept all the pieces of the covenant that I have put in place. I've kept my end of the bargain and have not failed, have not backed away. I have remained steadfast and faithful in this covenant, God says, beginning in chapter 40 of Isaiah. But the verdict is given. God's people are in exile. God's people have been carried away. The the northern tribes attacked and carried away by the Assyrian Empire. The southern tribe of Judah attacked and carried away by the kingdom of Babylon. God's people are scattered. But even in that, God says, My covenant is not broken. I will still be with you. I will still maintain that covenant. And that's where, as we begin reading in Isaiah 43, God paints a new picture, gives us a new scene to look at in Isaiah 43. So we see this picture of a courtroom that comes before this, that God brings these charges, and then we see this new scene that takes place in chapter 43, where God then announces redemption, salvation from exile, that he is doing this as a new thing. And and he uses phrases that we see in this passage we read today. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you. You are mine. I am with you. I am your Savior. But notice this as well, that, that in all these ways that God reveals himself within that to keep his covenant, that he gives action that is both past, present, and future. Right? He says, I have redeemed you. I have summoned you. He gives present tense. I am your Savior. He speaks 
future tense, I will be with you. That the present, the, the covenant of God is something that always was, always is, and always will be. And God faithfully abides by that. So even in this courtroom scene, God says, even though you are in exile, I will redeem you. I will make it right. I will bring it back again. And there's there's no terms and conditions. There's no waiting to say, all right, now, people of Israel, you're going to be on parole, house arrest. You're going to have to wear ankle bracelet trackers. There's none of that. There's none of this condition that's placed upon it. But God simply says, you are redeemed. I have redeemed you. I've done it. This is a word of grace that comes from God that speaks of his covenant as a covenant of grace. And how does he do that? I mean, what what basis does God have for doing that? We we saw it right away in verse 1 of Isaiah 43. He says, because I made you, because I'm the creator, because I'm the one who made all of this, and because I made you and I know you and I love you, that is why you are redeemed. That is why the grace of God flows for you. Because God, who is sovereign over all as the creator, has the authority as the creator to do that, to redeem his people. So how does that play out? Let's leave the courtroom scene for a moment and, and let's bring it back to the sheep pasture. That imagery that we've seen that comes from Psalm 23 where David talks about a shepherd. A shepherd who, as we saw it in this scene from verse 4, is equipped. A shepherd who is equipped with everything that a shepherd needs in order to, well, in order to protect sheep. A rod and a staff. These shepherd's staffs, and you've seen pictures of these, a long stick with, often it would have a curved handle on the end, and a shepherd would use that to guide the sheep along. Right, that if there was a sheep that's wandering too close to an edge of a very steep hill, we've seen the pictures there with those steep cliffs and hills there, could use the staff to just sort of pull that sheep back again, guide the sheep along. A rod there that would be used as protection when predators would come to try to attack the flock, attack the sheep, that a shepherd would have what they need in order to carry out that protection of the sheep, to guide those sheep along in times where there perhaps was danger, where there would have been a threat around. But I have sort of this hypothetical question that runs around that as I envision what that's like for a shepherd to use the rod and the staff and the shepherd's tools to to guide and protect the sheep. I, I wonder in my head, are the sheep aware of that? Are the sheep aware of everything that the shepherd is doing for them at that moment? Or, or does it go maybe in, the, I don't know how a sheep thinks, but uh, in the mind of a sheep of thinking, hey, aren't we smart to find our way beside these quiet waters on our own without even knowing or recognizing that it was the shepherd that did it, right? 
Or, or do sheep think, hey, it's our cunning strategic planning that has laid out before us this beautiful green pasture that we all get to enjoy now, that we have created our way into this without even knowing or being aware that it was a shepherd who was guiding them and protecting them and keeping them safe the whole way. I wonder, do sheep even know? Do they even know everything that a shepherd does for them? After all, sheep are not the brightest animals. And so, I wonder then too, are we aware? Do we know? Am I unaware of all the ways that God is guiding and protecting my life? When, when we read these words that come in Psalm 23 and we read about the shepherd who, who protects and guides us, do we know all of the times in our lives when God has done exactly that? I'm guessing probably not. Oh, I'm sure there are moments, there are glimpses every now and then when we catch it. There may be these moments where we are aware of Yep, God stepped in at just the right time. God gave his word and his voice and his direction just when I needed it. God provided something in my life as, as a blessing or a person to, to correct and teach me just when I needed to have that correction or teaching. We get those glimpses every now and then. But, but I wonder how many more times are there when God is doing these things constantly, every day, doing these things, and I don't even know. I'm not even aware of all the ways that God is guiding those steps. Because I'm not sure that a sheep, when, when it wanders too close to the end of a trail and that staff comes and sort of pulls it back, I'm not sure a sheep says right away, oh, that's the shepherd there. It's just hmm, stick pushing me back. Maybe that's all a sheep knows. Maybe that's how we live sometimes too. Life just sort of bends this way and that way and we go with what is placed before us without knowing always how God may be guiding that along the way. Sometimes then we live in places where we don't even realize. We don't even realize how dependent we are on God's constant love and care always be with us. I think David paints that picture for us, though, when he talks about the shepherd who guides and leads even through dark valleys in ways where we are not even aware of all the ways that God does that for us in our lives. So how do we respond to that? Right? I mean, if, if this is a covenant of grace, if this is something that God does where he redeems his people, and you know what, there, there's no terms or conditions on my end that I bring to it. This is all God's doing. And even beyond that, it's all God's doing. And so often I'm not even aware of what he's doing in all of those ways in my life. How, do, how am I supposed to respond? What's, what's the takeaway from this for today? Right? How are we supposed to live with this knowing that God in his grace does so much for us, more than we even know or realize? Well, tell you what, let's take it back to the courtroom again. 
back to Isaiah 43. You know, everything that I've been explaining about this passage from Isaiah, we've only gotten through the first seven verses of what we read today. Verses 8 through 13, the rest of that passage, we're still in the courtroom now, but this time, look at how the courtroom scene itself is different. Because everything up to this point, everything through the entire prophecy of Isaiah in this courtroom scene, God is the prosecutor and God's people, the nation of Israel, are the defendants, the accused. But starting in chapter 43, especially when we get here to verse 8, the courtroom is different. They are no longer defendants, but now look, God is calling them witnesses. You're not on trial anymore as a defendant, but now God says, you are the witness. You are the one who gives testimony. You are the one who responds to this in who you are and in how you live. That God's guiding protection over our lives provides for his people a testimony a witness, that we are called then to be people who respond in a way that gives testimony to what God does for us in our lives, that we carry that with us. How do I do that? How do I give testimony to this saving grace of God? Well, I give testimony to the grace of God when I extend it and share it with others. You see, I I suppose I could... I could preach all day long about the grace of God, but, but if I never share that grace, those are pretty empty words, aren't they? I could talk all day long about how God unconditionally loves me, but if I never show unconditional love to others, that doesn't mean much for me to say words like that, does it? That our words and our actions go hand in hand here that we are witnesses of God when we extend that grace he's given to us to the lives of others. When we show how that grace in our lives has changed us to live in a new way, then we give testimony to that. So where do you start? So where do you begin with this? How do I take this in a place where I, I can know where to start? How do I extend that? Well, here's the last thing I want to point out that we see here in Psalm 23 and in Isaiah 43, that both of these are personal, right? Begin there, that our testimony, our witness, our faith begins with a personal relationship with Christ. It begins by something that's not just things I've learned about in church. It's it's not just religion that I've picked up and things that I do, habits that I have, ways that I live, but, but it's God in my heart. That it's the relationship that we have with our Savior. That we begin there. The witness, the testimony, who it is that I am and how my life has been changed by God. It begins by giving witness to that relationship that I have with God who lives in our hearts. It begins there. We see that in these passages we read today that both Psalm 23 and Isaiah 43 are personal 
and they're relational. It's not about a list of rules of things you have to do, things that you can and cannot do. But these are passages that are about relationship. A relationship between God, the creator, the redeemer, and his people. The ones he made. The ones he loves. The ones he has redeemed. That is where you and I are. Created by God. Called by him. Loved by him. Redeemed by him. And now, set free by him to be a witness. A witness in who we are and how we live. That he is the God of grace for the entire world. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word. And Lord, we thank you that, uh, that we see that story, that story that even though we know, like the people of Israel, we should be standing accused. But instead, you have redeemed. So Lord, we pray today that you would work through our lives in ways that call us forward to be witnesses for you. That you would go with us in that. Lord, even though we acknowledge, along with the psalmist, that so often we are not even aware of all the times and places and ways that you go before us, that you are with us, that you protect us, still use our lives as a witness for you so all may see the relationship that you have made with us in the way we live. We thank you for that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.